Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China, who has uh, lived there for 51 years, born in Britain, passionately called by God to go to a, a place that wasn't his home and serve the Lord, made an interesting statement in one of his journals. He said, our heavenly father is a very experienced one. He knows very well that his children wake up with a good appetite every morning. He goes on to write, he, God, even sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. And it's that subject that we're going to be talking about today. It's that subject of God's provision that we're going to be looking at today in his word as we continue in our summer series. Don't forget this. Throughout scripture, there are so many times where we as, as God's people are encouraged to remember something. We're encouraged to stop and not forget a principle. We're encouraged and challenged and called and even called to obedience to remember something of God. And I think that as people, we need to take the opportunity and, and take God up on his challenge to remember something or to not forget something. Because when God speaks those words, when he speaks those words through the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit to men and women who wrote his book, there's something there for you and I to really pay attention to, to really learn. And I believe he's got something great in store for us. And throughout this series, we're going to be taking a look at several of the dozens of, of places where God says, don't forget this, remember this. And today, we're going to be focused on God's provision. Um, good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well. Hottest day of the year. Welcome to church. It's cool inside. Isn't that awesome? I've been praying all week that our, our, our roof would not leak when it rains and that our air conditioners would cool off, okay? So cool things off. And so here we are. We're here. I'm glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy is all the way back at the beginning of the Bible. If you have your Bibles, if you don't, it's all right. The verses will be on the screen. So we're going to be taking a look at Deuteronomy 8, and we are going to walk through verses 1 through 9. And we're going to be looking at what God said. One thing very early on that God said that we should not forget, and that is his provision for us. Now, I just want to um, kind of give a premise here before we dive in. We're going to read through, and then we're going to go back through and study each verse uh, individually. But I, I want to make one statement here, and that is, as I realize that in a room this size, when there's you know a couple hundred people gathered together, and, and a pastor's talking about God's provision, and some of you have walked in here this morning and, you know, the checking account is overdrawn or nearly overdrawn and, um, you know, things have not worked out your way in terms of your career. Uh, they've not worked out in, in relationship to your job or the, the way that you earn income or your financial situation or your investments. Uh, I realize that some of you have walked in here today and just the association between God and provider is, is a giant leap. And I get that. And here's my encouragement to you today. For those of you that are in that boat, I've been there before, number one. Um, but secondly, this message today is especially for you. It's especially for you because I think what you're going to see is that God, in a unique way, is our provider, even when things don't work out the way that we want them to. Let's take a look at what the nation of Israel was dealing with all the way back at the beginning of the Bible. Uh, we're going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we're going to be looking at the first nine verses, really ten, but uh, nine verses. I love this. Let's take a look. We'll read straight through. The whole commandment that I commanded you today, you shall be careful to do. 
that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And, and here's where he says it. And you shall, say that next word with me, you shall remember. Okay, there, there's, there's our remembrance. There's our, our flag. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you known that man does not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. He goes on to say, Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. You shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and the hills. A land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And he goes on in verse 10, I didn't include it, but it says, you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. I've had a hard time in, in the weeks leading up to um, right now today reading that passage of Scripture, whether I was reading it aloud or, or whether I'm reading it by myself. I've had a hard time in recent weeks reading that with, um, without a tear or two or three, admittedly, coming to my eye because um, I, I don't know about you, but if, if you're here today and um, maybe you've struggled in terms of understanding God's provision if you really take a look at the words that he's saying here, if you really take a look at the command that he said to, to remember God's provision, um, it, it's not a provision that we necessarily think of as provision, nor do we necessarily want that kind of provision. But because God is providing, um, he's the one that knows all, and he knows best, and he loves you, and he loves me. And so his best for us it is for us, and it's for our good. And we need to keep that in mind when we remember the provision of God. In fact, there's so much here. Uh, we could spend weeks just on this passage. We're not, and, and you'll get out early enough to go to lunch, I promise. Um, but like, we could really dig deep here and, and find out some things about uh, what God has in store when he provides for us and even when he disciplines us. But I think to really capture this, we, you and I have to understand just briefly a little bit about the, the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people who um, really struggled in terms of their relationship with God. It, just stepping back and kind of giving context of when this was written. It was written towards the end of um, the Pentateuch, which is the, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And, and really, when those books were written, that's really an account of, of what God was doing with the nation of Israel, with the Jewish people, as they were enslaved in Egypt a little bit before they got there, and when they were enslaved in Egypt, and then when they came out of Egypt, wandering for 40 years, and then finally entering the promised land as we see them 
entering um, really in the, the next book that follows, and that's the book of Joshua. And, and it's a tumultuous relationship. It's a tumultuous story. Um, you see, um, the nation of Israel, when, when God promised, and you can read this in Exodus chapter 12, when God promised Abraham, when he made a covenant relationship with Abraham, he gave him several different promises. It was a multifaceted promise. Um, one of those promises was um, to multiply or to, to make him the father of many people, um, to, to give them the promised land, um, to bless them, and that people will be blessed by them, the Jewish people. And, and so we see God essentially leading Abraham with his family, which numbered like probably right around 70 or 75 um, leading them to a place called Goshen and uh, towards Egypt. Um, can you imagine, like, if you had a move coming up? You know, we've all moved. We've had to get the moving truck, and it's, you know, it's like maybe, maybe some of you moved five people or seven people or two or whatever. Abraham, the poor guy, had to figure out a way to move 75 people from point A to point B because God told him to do it, and when God calls you, you do something right. And so we see that, like, they move to this place called Goshen, and, and then they're, they're, they're uh, finally taken captive by the Egyptians. And, and so you wonder, okay, is God really a God of his promises? Like, is, is what he said about making Abraham the father of many nations and giving him this great land and, and being blessed uh, and, and having people bless uh, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, is this really something that, that God was serious about? 400 years in captivity, being slaves under the, the, the incredibly intense and harsh rule of the Egyptians, who really were the leaders in so many ways during that time. What is God doing? Is he really a God of his word? Is he really truly going to fulfill this promise? And so we see over the course of 400 years that um, there's one way that God kept his promise even when Israel, even when the Jewish people, the Hebrew people were there in captivity because um, there was one thing that happened over 400 years that the Jewish people found out. They found out how to have babies and they had a lot of babies, okay? So over 400 years, a group of 75 people left Egypt, God parted the Red Sea, and they walked out into the Sinai Desert, almost three million, most experts believe, between two and a half and three million. That's incredible. That's incredible. In fact, it was part of the reason that the Egyptians really, truly feared the Hebrew people is because they were so great in number. So we see, even in captivity, that God is fulfilling his promise that he made to Abraham so long ago. But what about this promised land? What about the great nation that he talked about? We see God leading the nation of Israel into the Sinai Desert, into the Sinai Desert, and all during that time, there's this like um, uh, incredibly wide swing of, of uh, these people obeying God, and they would go through faithful, obedient times, followed by incredibly rebellious, disobedient times. Anyone have a teenager in your house? Sounds a little bit like that, right? Um, if you're a teenager, I'm sorry, I really am. Uh, you'll have one one day, and you'll see what we're talking about. So anyway, that'll happen to you. Um, but it really, like, it really demonstrates, not only I'm kidding about the teenager, it really demonstrates the nation of Israel. It demonstrates the relationship that humanity has with God. Intense devotion and faithfulness to what God is saying, followed by intense rebellion. And, and we see this even after they enter the promised land and into the time of the priests and kings and um, all throughout the nation of Israel, we see this incredibly wide swing of obedience and disobedience. 
And so there they are. They've been held for 400 years in slavery and captivity. They enter the Sinai Desert, and God decides that the best thing for the nation of Israel would be to wait 40 more years. And we see this group of people wandering and wandering and wondering and wandering and wondering what God is going to do and when in the world are we going to ever see this promised land. In the middle of this, God gives them his 10 rules for living. And just to make sure you're awake, they are called the what? 10 commands. Okay, I mean, if you're not even churched, you know that. Okay, so anyway, you guys are all awake and I love it. And so we see that God essentially gives them a code to live by to, to hopefully help them understand that like keeping God's rules is not as hard as maybe we make it sometimes. Boil it down just to 10 things. And so we look in the Pentateuch, these first five books of the Bible, and we see Genesis, or Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, a retelling often of the Ten Commandments. Moses will go into depth. And so he's just done this in the passage, in the previous chapters uh, for this particular passage. And we see that he goes into depth and he talks about uh, how obedience to God's command is so important because there's often a, a promise that is tied to that obedience. And I want to talk to you today about one thing that really involves God's provision. It really ties to God's provision. And that is this, that often in scripture where you and I are called or, or, or given in a command to do something or to be something, we are given that command and, and there's a premise that is linked to a promise there's something that is there that we have to do, or there's something that we have to become that God says, I want you to do this, and if you do this, then I will do this for you. Now, not all of God's commands are the premise, promise type. In fact, if you look at the very nature of God, that he is love and that he does love, and that he is graceful and he, he provides grace and that he is merciful and provides mercy, those aren't premise-promise relationships, but we see often that there's a premise tied to God's promises. The problem with humanity, the problem with the nation of Israel, the problem with you and me is, is that we don't want to like do the thing that God is asking us to do to get the reward of the promise. Am I right? <laughs> we often just want to like be our own person and do our own thing and follow our own rules for living, but we expect the promises of God nonetheless, am I right? Like we expect him to come through nonetheless. Now, I really didn't quite understand this premise and promise um, kind of approach to obedience until I became a dad. And, and I have a nine-year-old son who's awesome. His name's Sean. And uh, Sean is, is an incredible little kid. But he's nine years old, and it's time for me to teach him um, that, like, all of the world doesn't re revolve uh, around one of these things right here. <laughs> that there's going to come a day when he's going to have to, you know, get a job, right? And so we're beginning in our house to really instill that in him. And Sydney at 12 really already gets this to a, to a large extent. But um, with Sean, I'm really teaching him that. And so uh, the other day, actually, it was on Friday, uh, we were doing some, some work around the house. Um, you guys know my Sabbath is Friday. And the thing that I love to do on my Sabbath 
um, is yard work. And I know some of you are like, that's the thing that would drive me away from God, not point me to him. Well, it really does point me to him, okay? It's my thing. So anyway, that or golf. And so anyway, um, so we were doing some yard work, and he came home from soccer camp, and I said, hey, buddy, um, listen, it's, it's summer. It's the first part of summer, and, and I'm going to give you a job this summer. And, and linked to that job, if you accomplishment, accomplish it, will, will be a financial reward, small financial reward, but a financial reward nonetheless. And, and so his job this summer is to keep our yard clear of pine cones. <laughs> now, some of you are on vacation here, and like, you know, in Sandusky, Ohio, or Charlotte, you know, North Carolina, or Atlanta, Georgia, um, although Atlanta has a lot of pine cones, it may not be that big of a deal, but here... Um, it's a big deal, am I right? So the kid has his work cut out for him. And so as a dad, I'm going to help him. And so I told him, I said, okay, there's this section of the yard that like over the next hour, I, I want you to collect all the pine cones and uh, put them in the trash can. And I'll take the trash can out and dump them behind my house, which is, I think, illegal where I live. But that's okay. That's a whole nother message, okay? So anyway, uh, I'll remove them later if you're on my uh, plantation board. So anyway, um, <laughs> so uh, he got working on that. And even though we went to Lowe's and bought him one of those little gripper things, you know, a little pine cone gripper, I called it a robotic pine cone retriever, and he still thought it was lame. But anyway, so as the time went on, I realized that the area that I had given him was like, there's no way he was going to do it within an hour. But yet at the same time, I wanted to see him work a little bit harder than he was working. And so I said, okay, so here's the deal. Let's, let's bring this into scope a little bit. You're going to do this area for my truck over here, and I kind of define the area a little bit smaller. And I said, and you have an hour to do this, and if you get it done in an hour, then you go to the pool. You see, in that moment, what did I do with Sean? I, I made a conditional act of obedience. There was a premise. The pine cones had to be cleaned up in this area, and he had to do it within a certain period of time, and there was what was tied to that, a promise. He got to go to the pool. And so all of a sudden, my son that was kind of just walking around real slow, all of a sudden, man, he got busy. And he cleaned up that area. And he did a really good job, and he got to go to the pool. You see, we do the same thing. As parents, as some of you who are teachers, some of you are involved in education, some of you are involved in our student ministry, some of you are involved with our kids um, on the other side of that wall on Sunday mornings and um, on, on that side of that wall on Sunday nights. And so we do the same thing, don't we? We have this premise-promise relationship. And here's what I want you to hear if you miss everything else this morning. The, the, the premise-promise like philosophy towards obedience is for the good of the one who's receiving both the premise and the promise. Am I right? It's for their good. Did it help me that Sean picked up the, the pine cones in that area? A little bit. Could I have done it like faster, easier, with a much better attitude? Yeah, at least one of those things, I could have done it, okay? So, like, I didn't need him to clean up the pine cones. I'm trying to teach him a principle that will last a lifetime that, like, 
uh, rewards come from, from work and from hard work and from doing things with a good attitude. And we're, we're working on that, and he's really responding well sometimes and sometimes not, and that's awesome. And, and I'm sure I did with my dad. I can think of about 10 instances right off the bat. And so, like, that is the premise, promise approach to obedience, and that's what God does with us. And in a lot of ways and a lot of times, that's what we do with our kids and with people that, like, are in our charge. And, and, and it really is, exists not for the person giving the premise and promise, not for the person giving the command or the act of obedience, but it really exists, I want you to hear this, for the good of the one receiving it. <laughs> and that's the way God's provision is when it comes to us. And I think that is so incredibly seen. And you're going to see that theme as we walk through the summer a little bit. Premise, promise, I'll talk a little bit about that uh, because a lot of the things that God wants us to remember are commands or acts of obedience. But that idea of a premise linked to a promise is, is probably most obviously seen when it comes to God's provision. I want you to look at these verses because I think the, the premise promise philosophy towards obedience, it really is designed for our success. There are times when as parents, we may get irritated with our kids because they don't listen to us or they don't do what we tell them to do. And there are times when our temptation is to be punitive, right? Am I right? <laughs> like, I'm going to punish you just because I'm mad. I've been there. I've been there. Just a little bit of honesty. But man, when I'm a secure dad and when I'm secure with my heavenly father, then I can be secure with my earthly son. And it's, it's a place of security. It's a place of realizing that I'm concerned about his good. And I want you to hear this. God is not a punitive God. He is not a God who punishes just for punishment's sake. But he is a God who will lovingly discipline us, and sometimes that makes it, 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 it it's um, kind of like, you know, evidence in terms of, his provision for us, he does it because of his genuine love and passion and care and concern for you and for me. And we see that in the nation of Israel. I love this. So let's, let's dig a little deeper here. Check out verse 1. The whole command that I command you today, um, commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. Okay? R right there, there's the premise, right? Essentially, Moses has just gotten done telling the nation of Israel, retelling the Ten Commandments, reminding them of what God desires and what his best is for living. And he says, if you do these, if you do these, then he says this, if you're careful to do those things, then um, you may live and you may multiply and you may go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. Now, um, I want to give you this picture here. The, the nation of Israel has just come out of 400 years of being slaves, 40 years wandering, and they are at this moment when this word comes to them. They are literally on the Jordan River, and across the Jordan River is the promised land that God had promised hundreds of years earlier. It's right there. And does God allow them to go into the promised land right then? No, he doesn't. And, and i got to be honest with you, I've never quite understood why, except that he's God, and he knows better, 
And there was something else that they needed to learn. There was something else that they needed to feel or, or sense or, or, or receive from the Lord before they received the promise that was based on the premise. Perhaps the things that God had called them to do, they really like hadn't completely gotten it yet. And in fact, earlier, God tells Moses, who's led this group of people, um, you, you will not see the promised land. In fact, there's one really, I think, very interesting passage right before this, or maybe right after, where God tells Moses to go up onto a mountain to look out and to see it, but he'll never go in. He won't lead them into the promised land. There they are. They're right there. They're right there. They're right on the verge of, of the promise being fulfilled. And God tells them, man, I'm going to provide this for you, but you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. 400 years, 40 years, and we got to wait longer? If I'm part of that group of people, I'm kind of going, really, God? Really? Like, do I have to wait longer for your promise to be fulfilled? But that's because you and I have such a small lens view of God's provision. We have such a myopic view of God's provision, and often we look at God's provision in terms of snapshots of our lives rather than having a wide-angle lens to God's provision. In fact, in verse 2, I believe that God gives us instruction as to how we are supposed to remember his provision, and that is with a wide-angle lens. Check this out. Verse 2, and you shall remember the, what are those next two words? Say them with me. The whole way. The whole way that the Lord, your God, has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. That he might humble you, testing you to know what's in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. Listen, I believe that in this particular passage that essentially what God is saying is, is that when we, um, when we remember, when we live our lives and, and choose to not forget his provision, we've got to do it looking at the big picture. He says, remember the whole way that the Lord, your God, has led you these 40 years. It was with providing manna. You see in verse 1, it was providing the word of God for them to live on. You see that again in verse 3. Um, you see that in several different ways. Verse 3, not verse 1. You see that in several different ways. In fact, in the desert, uh, God led them with a, a pillar of fire at night and by a cloud during the day. Even that in itself is God's provision. But he also left them wanting many times, didn't he? He also left them wanting. There were times that he provided manna from heaven, a provision from God that is miraculous, that is absolutely his provision. But there were times that he left them wanting. In fact, right here, they're wanting to get into the promised land, and they can't yet go. But as Hudson Taylor said, our God is a God with great experience at providing. And he knows better what the nation of Israel needed than they did. And so we see that he wants us to take a look from a wide-angle lens, not just a snapshot. I want you to think for a moment about a time in your, in your life when you had plenty. Think for a moment about a time in your life when, when you had plenty, and plenty for you um, might not be wealth or riches, but it might be that um, there was always food on the table, there was always uh, clothing on your back, and there was always shelter. I want you to think about that. Put it in your mind for a moment. See, if you and I take a snapshot of that one moment in time, 
if we look at just that moment in time, we have the tendency possibly to say, well, um, you know, I provided through my hard work. Or I was able to, you know, start this business, and that's the way that we had provision. That's why we had plenty. And so it's a mistake to remember God's provision with a snapshot of something that's happened in the past, even when it's plentiful. Because we have the tendency to make the mistake that we were the ones that did the providing. Now think of a time when you had want in your life. Think about a time when, um, you know, the finances really, really um, were not what you expected them to be. Things didn't work out in terms of possession, in terms of um, your, your 401k, uh, in terms of your investments. None of us have ever gone through times like that, have we? Ever. <laughs> if you take a snapshot of that, if you look at just that, you might have the tendency to say that God is a not, not a God who provides because he didn't provide in that moment. And so I believe when God says there that we are to consider the whole way when we're remembering the provision of God, I believe that he wants us to have a wide-angle lens looking at the good and the bad, the plenty and the want, the times where we had a lot or everything was taken care of, and the times that he allowed us to go through times when we still had needs that were unmet. And a lot of this has to do with the fact that our God loves us so much that he will allow us to go through some things in our lives that may correct our course so that we can be humbled, so that we can... Know what it's like to be hungry. And then when God provides, it really becomes something that we're so much more grateful and thankful for. And so God knows best when we resist the temptation to have a snapshot of his provision. We need to have a wide angle lens, a wide view lens. We need to remember that there's a premise here. The premise is, is that we should remember what God has done. We should remember the whole way that God has done. And that we should remember that God is the one that's going to lead us. What are we to remember? We're to remember humility. We're to remember that we need to have a pure heart before him. And that you and I will hunger without him. That we will go with needs being met continually without him. The problem is, is that you and I have a skewed view of, of what needs are and what wants are, don't we? Uh, Cynthia mentioned, and I hope you be, you'll be praying for our missions team that just went down to San Marcos, Belize, a little village near San Ignacio. I uh, went two years ago with them, met them yesterday early at the airport to pray with them. And they're going to a place where if you lived there for any length of time, you would really understand what need is. You would really understand what it is to want. Because if you lived in San Marcos, you have power lines but no power. You have water, but it's not clean. You have food, but really never enough. You have clothing, but the clothing wears out. And here we are in America, and I don't have to tell you that we're privileged, aren't we? We're privileged. We have it pretty good here in the United States. We have it pretty good in our Western world. And I don't believe that God wants us to not forget that God provided so that we can compare ourselves with uh, people around the world. I believe it's because we are to remember that he is the one that provided. 
He's the one that provided. And he provided not only with the times when he provided for us and we had plenty, but he also provided by bringing us through periods of discipline so that we could be grateful for how he provided. If you go on, you read more and more promises and premises here. Look at verse 6. He says this. Here's the premise. You shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. And then he lists all the different things. And you see, sometimes um, in our society, um, we have a, a wrong view of what a need is. Um, God knows best what your needs are, and he knows best what my needs are. And so when we look at the wide-angle lens, the whole way that God has provided, we need to consider the discipline, the times where we went through want, and the times where we had plenty. But our tendency is to remember and, and give praise to God when we have those times when things are really good. Part of the reason that every time I read this passage in the weeks leading up to this uh, and, and wept a little bit and had some moments where tears came to my eyes um, were, was because Cynthia and I have experienced this throughout the years. Many of you have too. We've experienced God's discipline. We've experienced God's blessings. We've experienced him providing and, and at 43 years old, something I didn't understand when I was 23 is, is that the whole way that God has provided was for my good. It was for her good. It was for our family's good. And that's a whole, whole different perspective than just remembering and being thankful when things are good. Tom Landry once said that the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be. I love that. I'm not a Cowboys fan, never have been, but I love Tom Landry, didn't you? He was a great man. God has your best in mind. He loves you, and he cares for you. So when you go through periods of time when you look at his provision and wonder what he's doing, just know and remember the whole way that God provides for you. Love and the discipline as well. I remember one Friday afternoon in Atlanta, uh, I was selling telephone systems, not very well evidently. And uh, I was young, I'd, we had just graduated college and uh, <laughs> it was Friday afternoon and Cynthia and I without kids yet, thank God we didn't have kids at the time. We uh, looked at the checking account balance and uh, it was real close to zero that Friday afternoon. <laughs> And, and I remember literally pulling over to try to find, like, food for dinner um, and opening up the seats. I had this bench seat in that Jeep Cherokee that opened up and looking for change. Some of you have been there. It was one of the most humbling moments of my life. And here I am with my wife that I'm supposed to be providing for looking for change. <laughs> and we found change, and we went home, and we found some more dollar bills, and we made it through that weekend. And man, I was kind of ticked at God. I was kind of mad. He's not really a God of provision. He seems to be a punitive God. A God that wants me to go through want for I don't know what. But you know, at 43 years old, I look back on that, and the very, the very vehicle that I was looking for change in was leased. <laughs> now, I'm not going to dive into why that's wrong or bad or whatever, but you know, I had some financial lessons to learn in that period of time in my life. I had some really 
frank lessons that God needed to teach me. But it was for my good. And he does things for your good, even when it seems punitive. Even when it seems like it's disciplinary, because he has a premise that he wants you to learn, but he also has a promise. And so you and I need to not forget that God is a God of provision in the whole thing, the whole way. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thank you so much that you love us, that you are for us. And God, I pray right now for those who are here today and, and they walked in this room and they're really struggling to, to figure out how in the world it is that you provide because things seem so unsettled and they, um, they may seem even desperate. God, I pray in their life that um, you would do a, a mighty and powerful work in their life. And God, I pray for, for those who have been through financial peace in our church and have learned your way of living financially. God, I pray that you would bless them. God, I pray that you would bless everyone who's in the sound of my voice this morning. But God, I pray that as um, your people, that we would not forget that you are God who provides. And God, I pray that you would help each one of us in this room to realize that you provide. And we need to have the big picture view, the wide angle lens view not just a snapshot of your provision. And God, that means realizing that sometimes when you allow us to go through want or when you discipline us, that that's your provision too. It's not just the windfall. It's not just the surprise check that comes in the mail. It's not just those times when things are God, it's the whole way that you've provided. Help us to remember the whole way. Help me to remember the whole way, because when we do that, um, it really becomes so much more about you than it is about us. And perhaps that's the lesson that you want us to learn this morning, is that in this relationship with you, uh, it's really not about us as much as it is about you. God, thank you for being for us. Thank you for loving us. God, thank you for loving us enough to send your son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And God, we also remember that that's the way you provided for us as well. You provided a way out of the results of sin and you provided eternal life so that we can spend it with you. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want to encourage you to consider Jesus. Consider putting your faith in him. After the service is over, you can come and talk to me or talk to um, someone back at the guest service desk and find out more. God, thank you so much for providing for us and helping us to realize that it's really not about us as it, as it is about you. And may we keep that in mind. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.